0: Get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C dot com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seaboc.com.
1: Welcome, I'm Dr. Jeremy Locoball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBoc's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cbox.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast that helps us out. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He's the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, and all of those who like to help in the business community, including one actor, uh, Jeremy. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that um, I know with my experience um, is really topical at this point. It's managers training needed. And I don't think I am unique where working with organizations where, you know, they're really good at finding people in the organization that they want to develop. And eventually they move them into something like leadership. So now they're managers with leadership, but they're not actually given any training in leadership. And it seems to be, you know, you're supposed to learn this by osmosis. So, you know, what other areas or
1: or maybe in general, what kind of training do managers need? You know, I, I learned osmosis. <laughs> that word triggers a picture for me. Remember the old Garf- Garfield cartoons? Yes. I remember, I guess he got, you know, he ate all his lasagna or he, he, which one? Garfield or Heathcliff? Garfield was the lasagna one, right? Yeah. So he's eating his lasagna and he, you know, he passes out. And I guess he was trying to learn something. So he would sleep next to this book and said, I'm gonna learn through <laughs> through osmosis. So I'm glad you uh you put that thought into my head. Hey, not you know, I don't I now I get now. I gotta look up some studies, see if that's a real thing.
2: Yeah, I was told that you know, in, in university, if you put your textbook under your pillow, that <laughs> <Yeah>. works. <laughs> hey, we're trying it tonight.
1: <laughs> it, it, so we're talking. We're going to go over a lot today. I, I found some, I, I actually saved this PDF and I wrote, I just titled it golden nugget when I saved it in my computer. And I'm going to share what that is today. Because if if organizations are saying, look, we need to it, virtual, virtual, virtual. Now we've got these buzzwords, these cliches, all these things, and we're not going to be able to avoid them today. And that's okay. We're going to provide some of the, what, what, We know already from a a lot of different studies in terms of, look, if you're going to start, if you're going to do a training or if you're going to hire an outside consultant or probably an IO, right, to do some of this training here, what, here are some of the things that you should focus on. And we'll also move away from training and start to, you know, I studied under, um you know, FBI guys and, and, uh, psych guys and all this. And some of the thinking is stop calling it training and start to call it conditioning, because that's what we're really doing is we're conditioning the mind. We're conditioning behaviors based on new learning. So let's maybe we'll use inter interchangeably this conditioning and, and, and training concept. It makes me think first off, Tom, I have an example. I thought of you yesterday, Tom, because I was, I was, Uh, I was coaching a client yesterday and he shared with me after five years of working with someone virtually, I went to an office that we don't usually go to. And this guy just comes up and he's like, Hey, and he said he was just blown away. Cause he, for five years, he's known, they've known each other virtually and worked in a virtual capacity. He said he just was speechless. Because how do you just not seeing ever seeing someone meeting someone? It's just a completely different dynamic. And I thought of you, Tom, because we were virtually for years now. We've never met in person. We're a continent away from each other, and it's just, it's it, it would be insane just to have you pop in and just say hi. I, it would be insane. What I found for today's discussion, I put them in the chat in terms of the. In terms of the references, there's actually two, but I have to start off with this one. And I want to take a little bit of time, maybe five minutes, and talk about why it's such a good idea to find really good sources and look at the studies of what is known rather than do simple web searches where you're going to find theater, you're going to find opinions, you're going to find a lot of articles. And yes, they're good, and we learn from them. This article is called Towards Remote Leadership in Healthcare Lessons Learned from an Integrative Review. It was published in um, uh here we go Journal of American Nursing. Authors are Takamo and Moisioso, Karki and some other names I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but that's the title. Some really interesting information here. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this and I've read thousands of articles, research articles, original studies. What it is, if anyone can, it's not available on Google Scholar. I've checked on there, but you might be able to find it through like research slash app.com, I think it is, or scholar.edu. It's a literature review, but they break down all of these studies and evaluate them empirically and then provide an easy go-to chart of everything that is found for the studies with how do you manage and how do you lead in a virtual environment. They define everything. They look at the studies. They say how many, what kind of a study was it? How how many participants were in the study? But they do it all in a very charted way, and they do a mixed methods analysis to look at the efficacy of all the data. It's absolutely insane. And then they, they have this nice breakdown of these columns where they have, here's the author, here are the aims, here are the sample signs, the data collection, and then here are the major findings. And to a lot of you out there, we geek out on this stuff. To those of you who don't geek out on this stuff, we're going to break it down so that it starts to make sense. I'm just going to give, for example, one of the things that is found here. So in a literature, basically any scientific study that we look at, anytime researchers are going to perform an actual study, they need to look at all the literature in terms of and finding what is known. Because if something's already known, they either have to add to it, or they have to find out something that's not known, and then perform the study. They also have to become experts in their own right, and share that they've done their due diligence in terms of looking at all the research and all the data that's out there. So in this In this way, again, it's amazing how this literature review is performed and disclosed. There was a study by Hom 2017, what's the aim of this study? Explores how important information sharing is to creativity and explains how to improve information sharing within virtual teams. So now we're starting to get the nugget of our topic today. Now, what were the findings? And again, these are findings. So this, if you're looking to do manager training, this is something that you should look to incorporate. Here are the findings. Information sharing and creativity were closely related in virtual teams. Further, authentic leadership, a sharing team climate, a sharing team climate, meaning teams are open, they're sharing and psychological empowerment can improve information sharing. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway is sometimes it's hard in virtual teams and in virtual meetings, For people to share information because there's this level of anonymity especially with the screen screens off then with this uh, this level of anonymity comes diffusion of responsibility and for more on diffusion of responsibility you can look up the bystander effect basically diffusion of responsibility means someone else will do it or if this was important somebody would speak up so what you can do as a virtual manager is very simple share more information, and create a sharing climate within the team that will spark creativity, psychological empowerment will follow, and now you have better team cohesiveness and also better productivity. This is just one of the findings in here. I want to, there's a couple things that I've gone through, and I'm looking at my own copy here of what I've highlighted defining. So here we go. We're talking about remote leadership today. And we all we've talked about before in previous podcast episodes where we talk about how are we defining these things. And that's also another reason to look at an actual a, a peer reviewed article, because they'll define something for you based on evidence, It's all empirical based, and people will define things differently, but they'll tell you how they're defining it and who they took the definition from. So in here, A simple definition for remote leadership would be the management of remote teams or units with the conscious consideration of social-emotional factors, communication policies, organizational practices, and technical solutions. I like what follows right here, though. This leadership approach can be considered as a social influence process that is mediated by advanced technologies, et cetera, et cetera. So this leadership approach can be considered as a social influence process because that's what leadership is and that's what we we talk about the difference between management and leadership leadership you're talking more of you know social influence and visionary management we're talking more tactical keeping things from going wrong perhaps not as visionary not exactly encouraging people to take risks that's more the management style but good managers also have good attributes of good leaders And I'll share one more thing before I take it back to you, Tom. A good article, again, this is great, we will share, all right, what's the purpose of this peer-reviewed article or this study? Answered very explicitly here, verbatim, therefore, this review fills the current knowledge gap by evaluating the current empirical evidence on successful remote leadership and discussing the results in the context, in particular here, healthcare. So here's this study. Here's how it fills a gap. Here's how it tells us something that we don't already know, because it's actually evaluating the current empirical evidence. Now, one side note on, on meta studies and literature reviews, it's always a good idea to go to the original source. We look for original source studies so that we can interpret that evidence. Otherwise, it gets muddy. We're relying, we're interpreting somebody else's interpretation of data that exists. So... The other good reason for, to look at these different liter- larger literature reviews is because it'll provide 50, 100, sometimes 200 other articles that you can look at for data mining, and all of a sudden you can get lost. You can become quite an expert and quite knowledgeable in any area really quick. This particular article provides so much information that we could spend a year of podcast on it. And I stumbled upon it in about seven minutes, because it's really not that hard to do a search, even if you're doing Google Scholar, if you're doing scholar.edu, but you can find so much information. We need manager training, because there's a problem with our virtual managers, you can go to whatever library database, or even your local library. I'm sure they have databases that they provide access to. And do a little bit of searching and now you can find actual empirical scientific evidence on what you should be helping your managers better learn understand and become tom can
2: i send that report to hr um (laughs) give them some insight uh you know this is really interesting jeremy and especially when you talk about social influence because if we're talking about virtual leadership you know you're in you know some of the reading that i've been doing is things like coaching and training will be done virtually you're not going to get everybody who's working remotely or virtually to come into the office for training most of the time that's going to be online so it takes me back to well welcome everybody you now have a camera in front of you and a microphone and that makes you an actor so (laughs) you know you can really enhance. The work that you do by once again getting some training on on how to use this equipment that everybody has now. Uh, but I'd love to hear some some other people on this topic, uh, Dr. Martha. Why don't we go to you?
3: Well, as with anything else, th- there's so much to consider when we're facing new ways of doing things and new challenges. And we've spoken about the fact that managers in general oftentimes are not given enough training to begin with, regardless of what kind of teams they're managing. And now we're facing this remote management or maybe a hybrid management situation where the stakes are that much more complicated and higher uh, by their very nature. You know, as as we're talking about this, one thing that keeps coming to my mind when we're facing the idea of managing people remotely is who else is part of that experience, part of that exchange. Because now we are dealing with people um, working on their computers, maybe from their home office or whatever other remote area. But what role does the organization play, or maybe more specifically the IT department, in not only the connectivity that the person has to have to do their job but also monitoring of the activity that may otherwise not be monitored if that person were housed on site at that organization's um, office so in addition to having to figure out how to um, manage someone remotely Who else comes into play that the manager may or may not be aware of may or may not be on the same page with you may have a manager who is not interested whatsoever in micromanaging anybody. They're just struggling to figure out how to be an effective manager to people who are not at the office with him or her. And you may have an organization or an IT department who has an additional or different agenda where they want to see how many clicks there are on the keyboard, or maybe they want to watch you on a camera. So that just adds an additional complication to something that can already be a challenge because we're all learning here. So what does that leave us with? I think what that leaves us with is a responsibility for everyone who's involved to Speak up and to be proactive. So, just as a manager has to speak up and be proactive in his or her own training, because sometimes organizations aren't proactive, you have to seek that out on your own. But also, the employees who are now remote, who are dealing with being managed by someone remotely, who may or may not be good at that yet, they have to be able to have a voice and speak up too, and and be proactive in some way. So. You know, when, whenever we face new things, everybody has a responsibility. It's not just that one lonely manager who finds themselves in a difficult situation. Now, everybody has a responsibility to learn to figure that and to speak up.
2: At the same time, it seems like organizations are very hesitant right now with any training, um, especially now we're coming on the pandemic, and there seems to be so much confusion or it's just a foggy cloud that we can't see through. And we don't know what the future is of remote or hybrid work. So is is it really organizations that have to embrace the future and really go, there's new technology there. I mean, there was new training for managers even before the pandemic and organizations weren't clicking into it. So how do we bridge that gap?
3: Well, again, I think it goes back to everybody having a certain level of responsibility because it's one thing to say, it's the organization's responsibility, but what is an organization but a collection of individuals? And yes, there are those in charge, those who have more decision power and those who have less decision power, but collectively we're talking about a group of people, right? And so if if we don't take on a certain amount of responsibility, it's easy to say somebody else will do it. It goes back to what I think Dr. Jeremy was saying or somebody was saying, that it is assumed that if it was important, somebody else would take care of it. If it was important, somebody else would have done it. That may or may not be the case. There's a reason why in social psychology, if you are in a group of people and there is an emergency, it's assumed that somebody else will do it. But if you wanna make sure that 911 is called, you have to point at someone and say, you, you go call 911. Otherwise everybody's thinking somebody else is already doing it, right? So it's the same thing here. We can say, yes, the organization has a responsibility and maybe the greater percentage of responsibility belongs to the organization. But what is an organization but a collection of individuals? So to some degree, everybody has a responsibility.
1: Jeremy, back to you. Yeah, I agree. Everyone has some sort of responsibility. And we cover that we get into this uh, uh, from time to time. How can you manage up and how can you be that advocate for your boss even if you maybe don't like your boss too much or you notice your boss is struggling and there's plenty of people that are going to listen to this the recording of this and say what can i specifically do as, as a manager to help from my remote team i know i'm falling behind there's i'm not the best leader i'm never going to be the best leader some people may say but there's really some certain things that you can hang on to or if you can find a way to manage up and, you know, kind of slip these things in and help your boss out in this particular article, the same article, and I'm going to name it again, because I'm just giddy over all this information here. It's called Towards Remote Leadership in Healthcare Lessons Learned from an Integrative Review. There is a, oh man, it is a long article too. Tom, uh, and when are you writing that book, um,
2: Leadership from Beneath? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we actually do need
1: that book. Uh, I found it. Thanks for the filler, Tom. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Table four, the personal traits and competencies of successful remote leaders identified from the included studies. In a nutshell, what are the leaders' personal traits that have been identified with successful remote leaders? There are six of them, I'm going to read them. If you're a remote manager, hybrid manager, if you want to lead, if you want to manage up, if you want to create a training, here are some things you might focus on. And just think about, all right, here are these six different concepts. What are one or two actions that you can do to give yourself either this perception that you're doing these things or that you're actually doing these things? So, Leaders' personal traits, here are the personal traits and competencies from those leaders that are successful. Availability and approachability. Availability sometimes isn't the easiest, but approachability, that's a little easier to work on. That's approachability. What does that mean? It means if you're having a meeting with someone, you're giving them your full attention and you're not you know, multitasking, you're not doing 20 things at once. You're doing these simple communication things. Again, we're getting in. He's staying with the topic of today where somebody uh, somebody says something to you. It's very simple. Repeat back what they say. Repeat back, paraphrase your understanding. That simple thing can help with your particular approachability. How do you communicate in your emails? Yes, sometimes we're just, yeah, yes, got it. In, in very short emails back and forth but how is that looking in terms of your approachability? People can perceive how much time you're spending in terms of thought your, your team can, see how you can open up that approach a bit, approachability and make your availability easier. Uh, another trait, desire, desire, doesn't mean you're the most empathetic person in the world, desire to be an empathetic and humane leader. So seeing people more as humans, and that may seem odd, but we get into this. Think about plane hijackings. Plane hijackings, terrorism. Plane hijackers thrive and are taught to dehumanize the uh, the victims on the plane. If you're being attacked, for example, and you see this sometimes when someone goes missing and their their parent is trying to you know bring my child back, they use the child's name. Use your name right? If you're being attacked or if God forbid your your plane is hijacked, use your name. Yeah, You have this many kids, you do this, humanize yourself. That's what I mean by humanizing people. So often we get caught up in this day-to-day where people become products, people become uh, just methods to get things done, cogs in a wheel. The more human you can make your workforce feel the better use more names ask for more opinions say hey you know sam you have a good idea about this and then as far as the empathy part we've talked about this a lot simply doing this thing where you're shaking your head yes or that sounds tough or it sounds like you've done a lot to make this work those are very easy things that any any leader can do another one is cultural cultural awareness Pay special attention to being aware of cross-cultural issues. Doesn't mean you have to know everything, but you can ask questions. You can be aware, and therefore, once you're aware, that can change your behaviors. Showing interest in the team and its members sounds like a no-brainer. But what are the relational conflicts between members? Being aware of those and showing an interest—it sounds like you've had a hard time with employee the with your, your coworker. It sounds like you, you there's some tension there, or it sounds like you've had a you had a great weekend and you're taking that motivation and that relaxation, and it gave you a springboard for your work because you've been on it this week. Simple things like that that you can do as a remote leader. There's two more. Enhancing the autonomy of, of team members. Autonomy is so important, Tra- treating people like adults. Sometimes people need to make snap decisions, and that means taking a risk. Support your employees in that. Do you really want your employees coming to you for every single tiny little question all the time? And then you're constantly getting in that and it's preventing you from doing your high level work. So give more autonomy. And the last one is willingness willingness to listen and negotiate. People skills, the ability, patience, conflict management skills. These are things that you can easily read up on. There's tons of negotiation and conflict management books out there. There's a lot of things that you can just you just get more aware of it. You go to the go to do a web search and and find out more about this. But these are the six things I'm just going to read through them again that you can start to craft either a training on, you can help your boss with in terms of managing up, or you can just self either self educate or really just self act, self do. Here are the personal traits again: availability and approachability, desire to be empathetic, human. Desire to be an empathetic, humane leader, cultural awareness, showing interest in the team and its members, enhancing the autonomy of team members, willingness to listen and negotiate. Tom.
2: So if I own a company and I move or if I'm you know, a CEO and I move someone into a management position, should they get a
1: psychology degree? No psychology <laughs> degree needed. However, <laughs> psychology is absolutely everywhere. You know, marketing, right? Huge. I, I'm I'm just, it blows my, well, I guess you have these psychology marketing classes. I mean, that's really all marketing is really is psychology. But yes, yeah, psychology is everywhere. You don't need a psych degree. What you need to do is simply be curious and want a tomorrow that's better than today. That's it. Muted, Tom, I believe. Oh, <laughs> I see. Or you
2: can just be an actor who hosts a weekly podcast with some very smart people. Linda okay. and let's go to you.
4: Yeah, I wanted to um just ask a couple questions and, and uh, make a couple comments here. And one is the, the opening statement about osmosis assumes that the information or whatever it is already exists in the environment. And I think that in some cases, this doesn't exist in that environment. So you can't even do it that way, even if you wanted to. Um, So that that aside, um, one of the ways uh, that that people are looking at some of the manager training kind of things in the virtual environment is to really define it by differentiating between inputs, outputs, and outcomes. And measuring really what if you measure um, look for the results, the overall results, the outcome without doing the task input and then um, measuring just the outputs. And I'm going to use an example from, you know, my previous organization. If you had someone come to an architecture firm and said, I want you to build me a house, right? And this this is a similar situation where even if you're in a coaching situation, often a certain issue is presented, but it's not necessarily the underlying real issue to be addressed. And so if someone says, I want you to build me a house, that company, that architecture firm could say, all right, well, you know, so-and-so go ahead and do X, Y, and Z, and then you do, you know, A, B, C, and so forth, and we'll get you a house. And you provide them the incremental drawings, but it may not be that energy efficient house that they're looking for. But you provided the inputs, you provided the outcomes, uh yeah, the outcomes, no, the outputs, excuse me, the milestones, the deliverables, those kinds of things. But you weren't focused on really the ultimate outcome, which may have been you want your client to be satisfied or and meet their expectations overall. And so that's a really different, those are three different stages of how you can approach work and people and um. But if you're going to do that and have your managers or leaders, because I think they're leading the people that are doing the work, right? If you're going to have them change the way they approach working with their team, you have to educate the team on the fact that we're going to try a different approach so that they aren't sitting there scratching their heads going, what are they talking about, or why is this different? They understand the process and the growth, and everybody grows together.
2: Uh, you know, once again, this is not a new issue. This was going on before the pandemic with a lack of training. And a lot of the training that, you know, I, I remember working in a post secondary institution where training was provided on a topic, and it was very simply, we've got some videos for you to watch. Um, really inadequate, because then there's no, also no follow up. So, do we, as we sort of re envision things, also have to take a look at training and go? We need to maybe re envision it for the future, and organizations have to click into the notion that there is new training out there that can make teams and your organization run more efficiently, more profitably. Is is that the message we need to get out?
4: I think that's part of it. I, but I also, you know, agree with Dr. Martha and. And I used to use this term often was, I can't teach you anything. I really can't. I can provide you the opportunity and and resources to learn, but I can't teach you anything. It's really incumbent upon those people. So you can make sure that whoever is in those trainings, if you're going to do them, is explicitly motivated to pick up the ball and move forward with it.
2: It's not just a check the box. It's got to be more than that. All right, uh, Lee, let's go to you.
4: You know the first
5: thing that comes to mind with what we were just talking about is so many people who are providing training are simply facilitating. You know, they're given a lesson plan or something, they have no real training, they have no real extra knowledge. They're given something that they regurgitate to a class. and which, you know is is less than the most exciting training anyway. but uh, and, it, and it's often the same way with online or videos as well. And then what if I have a question? Well, the person facilitating has no background knowledge to be able to answer that question. And so the, at best, you're going to get, I'll get back to you, and which often never happens. Um, you, know, this, you know, back when I was in college, I had, a, uh, I had a scholarship that required me to give presentations to various organizations around campus. We were the first group. They gave us a stack of stuff, and we went through it, and we created these presentations. Uh, and so when we went in there, we could answer questions. And then I came back and was visiting, you know, when I was in grad school, uh, talking to the the guy who led that, and they were still using the same presentations, but they weren't providing the background. And when we got to talking about it, and I was like, well, you know, how's this working out and everything? And I ended up, I still had my binder. I ended up bringing my binder back and letting them run a copy of it so that they could give it to their current participants so that they could have some background. And I was kind of floored. We're in an institute of higher learning. And I questioned how higher we are at this point, you know? Um, and, and it's the same thing in a lot of corporate training and, you know, throughout the military, you know, we get some guy who's a side job and they go, you're going to get this. And we have death by PowerPoint and they're reading off the screen. And hey, I had a question there. Like, yeah, I don't know. And it, you know, and, and unfortunately, a lot of our, you know, L and D, uh, professionals or have no real training in L and D. You know, they, they don't really, uh, you know, that they're just facilitators. And, you know, and so that's you know, definitely lacking. And to go back to a previous point I'm I'm at both points of of what we were talking about I am in a virtual team I have a manager who is virtual and I have a team who is virtual and so I have to remember to talk to my team because they don't think about it they got they they're busy and um, half the time I think they'd rather not talk to me anyway and you know because they want to do their jobs and want me to leave them alone which I'm perfectly happy to do as long as everything's going great uh, my boss and, and my program manager both are very, very busy. They're on multiple projects besides mine. So a lot of times I have to be the one to initiate that contact because it'll be like, well, I haven't talked to my boss in a couple of days. Is he alive? And so I have to I have to initiate that contact because you know I don't want to miss something because they thought they told me or whatever else. And even if it's just a, a team's message, hey, everything okay? You know, I take that upon myself to reach out to them because I'm just a small part of the the picture in their world. Um, and, you know, and, and communication becomes so much more important when you can't stick your head to the boss's office and go, hey, what's going on? We good?
2: It's, and, and, you know, you're right, because organizations who have excellent communication processes, they do much better than those organizations who don't. <laughs> But is communication one of those terms, Lee, where, you know, we all communicate, we do it every single day, we're communicating right now. And if I do it every single day, I probably don't need training in it, where it's actually, at least in my view, it's the exact opposite issue. You've got to have the training to do the things like that you're doing where, boy, my boss hasn't called me in a couple of days, I'm going to check in with him, or my employees, I have to be on a regular communication basis with them. So is that part of the training that's that's missing right now that we need?
5: Oh, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, because we all have some idea of how to communicate. We, we learn it as, you know, children, you know, and, you know, the technical thing, sender, message, receiver. But effective communication is a whole other level. And, you know, and I'm sure that you're very familiar with this from your, your work, that it's not intuitive to the vast majority of the population. And just because I say something doesn't mean that you hear what I think I'm saying. And you know, and, and that could be a lot of things. It could be cultural differences. It could be, uh, you know, Southern, ver- you know, me as a Southern guy talking to you, a Canadian, and we may be talking, we may say the same word. It means something completely different. And it could be offensive and totally not the not the, the, the question. And, and I've heard some words and that are used in other English speaking languages that here would be a slur and there it made something completely different. And so, yes, effective communication, there's definitely training, especially today in the virtual world and the international marketplace.
2: And if you'd like some of that training, contact me now. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you.
3: Well, what an interesting conversation. A um, Couple of things, going back to what Dr. Jeremy was saying and what you picked up on, Tom, is just how much psychology there is in managing people on leadership. And honestly, this is where IO psychologists and IO practitioners come in as a critical part of an organization's success because yes, people can talk all day long. Doesn't mean they're good communicators just as Lee pointed out. So this really does make a good argument for how much an organization has to consider the right people. To help along because there really is so much psychology in it. And to the point of um, um, marketing, when uh, Dr. Jeremy brought up the idea of marketing, think about good marketing leads the masses. And I'll give you um, a side tangent of an example. Way back when people started to figure out that psychologists are good to have on their marketing staff because they can really mess with people and get you what you want. And there was a time in our history where smoking was considered to be kind of, um, not the thing to do for ladies. Ladies should not be smoking. It was bad enough that men were doing it, but they're rough and tough. And that's a whole different ballgame. Ladies couldn't should not be smoking. Well, along came this campaign that called cigarettes freedom torches. And if you were an independent woman or wanted to be one, you should be smoking. Think about the insanity of it now that we look back at it. But when skillfully done, you can get people to do Anything. So that's on a larger scale on marketing, but it all goes back to psychology. So if you are trying to influence a smaller group of people within an organization, you have to have some kind of either psychology knowledge and understanding or help from someone who's a professional. Now, the other thing that I wanted to um, mention because it made me think of when Dr. Jeremy was making um, all the different points and about being approachable. The the emails, the too short versus too long. It is my experience that there are so many people out there that don't read beyond the first two sentences of your email, no matter how much time and effort you put into it. And then they come back to you looking for the information that was in the email to begin with, right? Because they didn't read it. Or if they see an email that has a lot of information in it, They roll their eyes call you long-winded and never bothered to read it so as a leader or manager there you are stuck between a rock and a hard place again trying to find that sweet spot of what's going to appeal to people but you know that when you're dealing with other people it's going to take different things for different people that will work for them everybody's a little bit different so some people appreciate more information others don't want any more than a sentence or two, right? Where another group might be offended by you're too abrupt or too short or whatever. So this is such a complex topic where once again, if you're an organization, you have got to get yourself an IO psychologist or practitioner because we're here to help
2: at least start listening to work cookie (laughs) because there's a lot of great advice that's shared on this platform. Brendan, nice to see you again. Speaking of great advice, go ahead.
6: Uh, Thank you, Tom. I, I, so I listened to what Lee said, and I think it leads back to what Jeremy originally said. And then, and Dr. Martha made some great points as well is that, what i see a lot of is is triangulation of communication where you've got two people who are having a conversation but these three other people need to be involved in that so if you don't send a follow-up or a recap of what was discussed then you the other three people are not in the well and i mean i had an email today where it was somebody sent me something i was like that's absolutely fantastic i have no clue what's going on can you please tell me more about what's going on here and then to doctor martha's point about the emails man i feel the pain on that because i send out emails as an hr representative and it'll have three questions on it and each question is just important but i'll get an answer to one i was like that's fantastic what about the two other questions i asked you so then i'll have to send somebody a teams message and go okay what about this okay what about this okay thank you now i can get this task done um so i think there's a lot of education that can be done within the like That's great, I I need all three pieces of this in order to to fit this puzzle together, or to even simply, let's make this recipe. You can't make a recipe with just flour, you need two other things. So education could definitely go a long way, but yeah, I definitely feel a lot of these frustrations and just, it's not even, I, I think I've said this on podcasts before, man, human beings have been along for how long we still can't even talk to each other in the right way. So this concept of even like, oh, communicating in a remote work, work environment. Yeah, we can barely communicate when we're in person.
2: And we've got really no roadmap right now about how to do this. I mean, there might be some sort of general things, you know, best practices that we can all embrace, but isn't it true that each team and each organization actually has to figure it out for themselves? I mean, and, you know, don't do it by yourself, it's in an IO, but you've got to f- you know, talk to the people, you've got to communicate, find out how they like to communicate, and then create your communication methods is, is you know, especially with your experience, is that the best approach?
6: Yeah, I would think it should be team specific, not person specific, because if you have four people on a team, and somebody says, well, I like teams, well, I like a phone call I like this, that's great, everyone, we're going to decide that we all like to use this now. And this is what we're going to use moving forward. And if you don't like it, I suggest you start to learn how to like it, because there's a reason why.
2: Yeah. And that's good communication. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you.
4: There we go. Um, I think before that and before an organization starts training people at all on things, they really need to take a step back and look at what they want the ultimate end result to be. You know, the old thing of starting with the end in mind and really what do they want to achieve by the training? What do they, how do they want those managers or individuals to perform so what's the real goal of this what's the end goal and make sure that whatever they do is clearly aligned with with that end result and with the value systems and and purpose of the organization you know um to go back to well I'm, i'll go into healthcare because this was used as an example you know one of the things that that can happen if you don't look at the big picture if you're A medical professional and and your goal is to really facilitate the overall health of an individual right that's your ultimate goal: to have someone be. You know, overall healthy and they come in with a symptom and you treat that symptom and but it may be that the medication or whatever that you gave them is causing other symptoms, so you give them another thing to to address that symptom and it goes on and on and on and they still have symptoms because of all the stuff you're doing but you're not achieving that end goal of overall health right so you have to back it down and maybe reiterate and start over but it's really important that whatever we do we understand the overall arching goal and purpose of it and the why communicate the why as Brendan had said why is a big deal in getting cooperation but um making sure that there's it's not just a silo kind of situation where you're putting a band-aid on something
2: let me ask you because you know i if i have an organization i might want to bring in an io but more than likely i've got an hr professional how much responsibility or maybe it's a a new vision for hr looking at that overall health of an organization and spotting it and bringing forward training i mean i Kind of that's classically what I would think HR is doing. Um, has not always been my experience. You know, it's usually HR is there to make sure the company doesn't get sued and make sure that, you know, the I's are, are dotted and the T's are crossed. But what role can the HR department play in this new paradigm, especially with remote work as we move forward with looking at that overall health of the organization and, and suggesting possible training Uh, elements to make the the process and the organization better?
4: I think it's partly addressing some of the issues of, of siloing, you know, and addressing some of the challenges that the organization currently has that they are just addressing in isolation. And if you don't have things communicated in a cohesive manner where everybody understands how it all comes together to achieving that purpose, which is really the, the driving factor in anybody that you're recruiting right now. They want to have that connection. I think it's really um, critical that organizations start looking more at the whole versus all the departmental pieces and how can I address this one segment of concern? In other words, if you're doing an engagement survey, right? You might say, okay, well, you know, our employees aren't engaged. So let's do X, Y, and Z over here. That's, that's only a symptom. It's really, how are you approaching the whole and how are you communicating the whole? And when you're doing the training to change how um, we manage work and people in a virtual world how are you working with that individual in a very empathetic way as our, as jeremy had had identified for us and really facilitating their process facilitating their needs and and achieving that outcome but it's a it's a more global approach than i think that most companies and individuals are used to utilizing
2: so is it time for hr to assume a leadership position and lead these organizations to an, a new and better
4: future? Well, I think so. That's and that's a that's a growing pain for both organizations and human resources.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. Um and <laughs> and let's hope we manage through it well. Uh Jeremy, let's get back to you because I see that this hour has really flown by and we're down to about 10 minutes. Um, so you got some news for us, stuff coming up.
1: I do. And then I want to make uh, something on something Lisa next week. What's our topic? Why managers should be. Oh, I like this one. Why managers should become learning partners for employees in training? Wow, that kind of bumps up to what we're talking about today. That's interesting. And then tomorrow we have our member game time. Thank you, Brendan, for leading that. That'll be at 11 a.m eastern and that's tomorrow on oh my gosh it's friday already now so lee made an interesting point which really made me just circle in my thoughts about how effective are the people that are facilitating and that are training and whether it's just check the box or whether they're just really no good and people are tuning out right away think about it i'm tying this in also with what linda ann was saying if you're going to have a program, think about not only like she said the symptom, but also kind of an overall global approach. Make sure whoever you're having doing these trainings, especially on these soft skills, find out find someone who has a good philosophy about training. Find someone who has who is willing to or at least suggest talking to people within in the organization before even putting it together to find out what they need. To get buy in, talk to managers, talk to uh, all levels of employees to figure out what kind of training would be impactful to them. What would be the components of that training? How are you implementing adult learning theory by allowing people to work in groups, share their own examples, uh, go off of life examples, have discussion around these particular topics, and lead those discussions and facilitate those discussions? in an effective way, if you have people that are creating and if you have a training team, consider maybe they need some train the trainer. And maybe they're the ones that are creating these train the trainer classes, because a lot of organizations have this where they're training other trainers, uh, there sometimes is a need to train the trainer who's training the trainer. You, you've got to make sure because sometimes these programs are just created. I I've audited train the trainer programs and some you look at them and like, Oh my goodness, this is the cause of the poor training. Find someone or something where you can figure out what is this training going to be about? How's it going to be done? What's the philosophy of the person training? How good is it? Maybe do some pilot programs Eighty. The last data I looked at was a long time ago. Something like 80% of training dollars just go to waste. You just do. It's a check the box. People don't remember things. When you make it experiential and you make it matter, and then you get the buy-in, especially from supervisors, which we're going to talk about next week, and then have those supervisors involved, so many times you run these trainings and employees say, why am I getting training on all these awesome, soft communications skills, these leadership skills? but my boss isn't. You hear that a lot. So you can get, we'll talk about this next week. You get a lot more bang for your buck. If you're incorporating supervisors into the support system for the training, which should last months, at least afterwards. Tom, back to you.
2: And to to share some recent experience, having everyone watch a 45 minute video is not good training.
6: If that's on that note,
1: I got to share this. On that note, so there, there's an organiza- organization I work. So I have their their email and, and whatnot. And I had to take one of those IT classes, right, about the security. And I, I actually, I'll sit and watch it because I find it interesting. And I'll go through all the exercises about, you know, you shouldn't reply to this. You should make sure you get to the right sender so it's not phishing and you're not clicking on these bad links and everything. And I was on it. I even, I even, so I got this email and I even reported it to the IT as, as phishing because I was being diligent. And I'm also thinking it's probably IT just trying to catch people as a training moment. Well, here through all this, I had inadvertently still clicked on something in that darn email. And I get a notice back, like an automated email from IT. Hey, you might require more training because... You clicked on this link. Here I am being so diligent. I'm even contacting them. Hey, this is fishing, but somehow my brain just went. Be and that was as a result of even this interactive. So sometimes even when you're using again, there's not a whole there. Yes, you get some adult learning theory with those IT things because you have examples and then you have to make decisions, but nothing beats really having a a great facilitator and not making it a 45 minute video and not making it just a click through online training. Those can be helpful better than nothing in some cases, but to your point, Tom, absolutely. Yeah, I
2: spent my 45 minutes going, why are they using that camera angle? Oh, that's terrible. And and listen to that voice. There's some nasality there that I could really clear up, uh, which is making me not want to watch this video and I didn't want to watch it in the first place. Uh, So make sure your training is effective. And with that, Jeremy, um, I think we should probably wrap up unless uh, you've got something else you want to talk about.
1: That sounds good. I want to make one final point because, Tom, you've spoken about this a lot. And this is actually one of the the articles that I have prepared for today. Camera angle, like you just mentioned, it's so important. Making sure you have a good mic, what the studies are looking at. This actually causes anxiety in in some of the people that are are in these meetings. Simply having the camera angle. Always have your head. Everyone here is like, you know, on it. Having your head, you know, top thirds of the screen so that you look like you're not swimming and, and just trying to keep your head above water. That's very important. Lighting. You don't have a huge light, you know, right from a, a window. Many of you know, my, I have windows right in front of me. So I have to adjust my lighting from time to time. And if I don't, it looks like I'm just like, I don't know, walking just in a complete spotlight. So make sure your lighting is good. Make sure your mic's good. Make sure your angle's good. These are all things that actually help and really affect the other people's experience within those meetings because we lack, we can't, it's harder to see body language. And we look at, we've talked about this before, this pupils, how pupils, when you're talking to to someone and you can't, there's no way you can see this in a virtual meeting. When you're talking to someone in person, there's evidence that your pupils will actually dilate and contract and, and sync with the person that you're talking to, just because of how we mimic each other physiologically. So without those things, the least you can do is make the experience okay. And not just annoying, like you said, with poor audio poor cameras and let's do it, Tom. On that note, let's close up shop. See everyone next time. Awesome conversation today. I really like this one as I always do.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast.